So today I want to talk about experiencing the presence of God. How many of you would say you, that today you've experienced the presence of God? No pressure, you know, but you, today you, now Landon's taking names <laughs> if you didn't, if you didn't experience the presence of God. Uh, but so a lot of times we come into the, come into the house of the Lord and we, we, we feel something. We, we feel and experience the presence of God. And I'm not saying that we don't. We do experience the presence of God. But sometimes we come in and we don't. I mean, we, we kind of feel flat. We don't feel like anything's happening. Uh, so how do you know that what you felt today was the presence of God? Uh, you can say, well, you know, I kind of get this tingly feeling, you know, this kind of goosebumpy, you know, I just feel this or... Uh, you know, sometimes it, this affects me this way. Sometimes in the presence of God, uh, I cry. It just touches my heart. Just in, in, in a, and sometimes it's just peaceful. You know, you just, you just feel the, the peace of God. You experience the peace of God. But also, you know, you can get a tingly feeling from a lot of different things. A scary movie. Uh, there's a lot of things that can make you cry. You can watch a cat video on YouTube or a puppy video, you know, something that makes you, or with Tina, all it takes is a Folgers commercial. Folgers used to make, you know, the boy's coming home. He comes up and he makes coffee for his mom. I look over there and Tina's like. <laughs> now, I, I have to say, that uh, as I've gotten older and I don't have any testosterone, uh, that I cry to at the drop of a hat. I, I, I jokingly say I've got so little testosterone now I'm almost a woman, so, uh, which is an insult to all women everywhere. Uh, <laughs> you know, so you think, but you, it's peaceful. The presence of God is peaceful. So is a bubble bath. If I see, if I see another woman post about mommy juice. I don't know. It just seems stupid to me, okay? <laughs> Opinions are of the, not of the management. They are, okay. So how do you, how do you know if you're feeling the presence of God? What, what if you didn't feel the presence of God today? Whose fault is it? Did, did God miss you with his Holy Ghost gun? And you didn't feel the presence of God, or, or maybe it's your fault. You came in here distracted, tired, hurting, worried, fearful. You weren't paying attention, or you, you weren't you weren't awake. You hadn't had enough coffee yet, uh, or was it the worship team's fault? I mean, they did sing two new songs today. I think they were new. At least they were new enough to me that I didn't know them very well. So you know, is it so you know? Can I blame the worship team? Because they sang songs that I wasn't that familiar with, so I couldn't get into the, I couldn't get into the groove, the worship groove. <laughs> what are, that's not it, by the way. That's not the worship groove. That's, that's an old-timey train motion. <laughs> uh, so if I don't feel God, is he still there? So we're going to talk about this today. If you don't always feel God's presence, 
And I don't always feel God's presence. There have been times that, that I've prayed for people, and when I prayed for them, I just felt something happening in my heart. I believed that something, that, that the miracle that they needed had happened, and zip happened. And then there's been other times that I've prayed, and I felt like I was just going through the motions and just praying what I believed to be true and just didn't feel anything happen, and then God did something incredible. So how, how, what, what if you don't feel his presence? Well, you're not alone. Psalm 88, verse 13. But, O Lord, I've cried out to you for help, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? So why don't we always feel God? i got three points today. Maybe you're putting too much emphasis on feelings. John 6 Jesus, I'm sure you've read this story. Jesus feeds the 5,000. He feeds the 5,000. He says to the disciples, hey, uh, these people, we've been away from a long time. Let's feed them. You've, you need to feed them. And they're like, oh, hey, we don't have enough money to feed these guys. And, and Andrew says, well, there's a, there's a lad here that's got five loaves and two fish. Uh, so five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, well, okay, bring it to me. Had the people sit down in groups. So Jesus feeds 5,000 people from five loaves and two fish. This is a tremendous miracle, uh, John chapter 6. And then, you know, then, the, then they cross the sea. They get to the other side. And uh, so the people are following Jesus. And when they found him on the other side, verse 25, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? It's like, how did you get here? Because we, walked, we didn't see you. We walked around. You took a shortcut over water. That's not fair, you know. Uh, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. He said, the reason you're, reason you followed me is because you had a good supper. Now you'd like breakfast. Don't work for the food which perishes for the food which endures, but the food which endures for eternal life, which the son of man will give you for on him, the father, God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, what shall we do that, so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who, has, who he has sent. So a lot of times we get confused about that. The, the primary work of a believer is to believe. The primary work of a believer is to put our faith in what Jesus Christ has done, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So our primary work is trust, believe in God. This is the work of God that you believe in him who sent me. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? He just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. So, but now they're saying, <laughs> in a sense, what are you going to do today to impress us? That was, that was cool. But, you know, you fed us, but guess what? what what's the problem with being fed? You get hungry again. They're hungry again, and they're saying, you know, what's the miracle this time? What's going to? So they're just saying, you know, give us a show. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 29, 
as the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. It's seeking for a sign. And yet no sign will be given to them but the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Jonah? Jonah was in the belly of the well three days. He was dead three days, and he came back. That's what's going to happen to Jesus. Maybe you're looking for a sign. The feelings aren't there. You're looking for God to show you something, prove something. You know, God, do this. Have you ever, you know, early in my walk with Christ, I would come up with crazy things for God to do to prove stuff. Because I, I, didn't, I didn't know God well enough yet. And my faith was immature. And uh, just like, I, I felt really, really sure that when I was called into the ministry, I was, I was at Hillview Terrace Assembly of God Church at a revival meeting on a Monday night. And uh, I felt like the Lord spoke to me in an audible voice. It wasn't audible to anybody else, but it was like God was speaking to me. I want you to be a pastor. And I was like, huh? Because of what I was saying, I was praying, oh God, I was just laying my heart out before the Lord. I just, I'd, give, I'd, I'd gotten saved the night before. I was praying, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll do anything you want me to do, Lord. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything you want me to do. And I really felt a mark. God said, I want you to be a pastor. I said, okay, what's the second thing on the list? <laughs> what, what else? is? And I, and I really felt that. But that weekend, as I drove as I drove into back home in Abilene, I was going back home. I was going to stop at my home church pastor's house. He didn't know. I just, I just wanted to tell him that I'd gotten saved. I didn't tell him anything else. I didn't tell him that, that I'd been called to be a pastor. But so I, I did this crazy thing. I said, uh, I said, Lord, if, if, this, if you're really saying this to me, if you're really saying this to me, have him ask me to preach. You know, you know it, that's wisdom, right? This guy who's been saved like less than a week. Have him speak. And, uh, and so I went and talked to him. He was so excited that I'd gotten saved. He'd been praying for me. He had been invested in his life in me before that time. And uh, he was so excited that I'd given him my life to Christ. We talked about all kinds of stuff. I never told him a thing about being called to be a pastor. Because th I'm thinking, I'm, I, I think, I think I'm in the clear here. I, I, I think I'm going to be able to get out of this. And as I'm leaving, as I get into the car, he says, oh, uh, by the way, I want you to speak Sunday night. You know what I said, of course. Uh, no, I can't. He said, no, no, I want you to speak Sunday night. And the crazy thing is I did. My first sermon that I ever preached, one of the guys in the church that I'd grown up with there in Abilene, the church there, one of the guys came to me afterwards and said, Randy, I don't think you're going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes we, sometimes we feel it, but feelings aren't always... The evidence. Sometimes we're looking for a sign. We're looking for God to confirm it. I can tell you that there haven't been very many times where I've laid out and said, God, you do this and, and I'll do it. God doesn't work that way. We, we walk by faith, not by sight. He, we walk by hearing and obeying his voice. It's almost like we're saying, what have you done for me today? 
Feelings aren't the only evidence of the presence of God. Acts chapter 4, verse 24. This is in, this is the, the, the church is just beginning. Uh, the, the apostles have been thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. They've gotten out. They've warned them. Don't speak in the name anymore. So they go and there's a group of people that are gathered. Uh, and so they're having a prayer meeting. They've been, they've been praying for these for for Peter and John to get out of prison. They've been praying for him to get out of prison. So they're praying for him to get out of prison. And when they show up, they, uh, they're praying because they told him not to, not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. Verse 24 of Acts 4. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it's you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your father David, our father David, your servant said, why did the Gentiles rage? And the peoples devised futile things. The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservant may speak your word with all confidence. So, so while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus, and when they prayed, notice this, the place where they gathered together was shaken. I mean, the building started trembling. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, this is an incredible thing to kind of be a high point in your prayer meeting, right? You're praying, God, we need you to do something here. We need, you know, we want to have boldness. They're told us to, they've told us to be quiet. We want to have boldness. And the building shakes and the power of God falls in the building. And they've just, everybody's aware of what's happening. What well, this is interesting. How many times did this happen in the New Testament church? Just one time. What if they had, from that experience, had developed a theology, they became the church-shaking theology? God's on, God only answers prayer when the building shakes. The building doesn't shake, God's not moving. That they had developed a theology over, off of that experience, and sometimes we do that, we're seeking the experience if you always felt God, you wouldn't have to have faith. The evidence of the presence of God is not a feeling. It's a promise. Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus said this, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He said, I'm with you all to the end of time. Till there's new heaven and new earth, to the end of this, of this time, this time span. Our faith directs our feelings. Our feelings don't dictate our faith. Our faith is not built on our feelings. Our faith is built on the Word of God. Feelings are the caboose of the train. And some of you don't know what a caboose of it is. They don't have them anymore. They got rid of cabooses, uh, and they just have a light on the end of the train now. They don't need cabooses. But... They used to have an end of the train, a special compartment that had another engineer at the end of the train. 
the end of the train doesn't determine. Now they might have engines on both ends of the train. So maybe this isn't a good illustration anymore. I'm too old. <laughs> but the caboose doesn't drive the train. The engine drives the train. And our faith is the engine that drives the train, not our feelings. If you seek feelings, if you're looking for God to prove himself, he already did. He already sent his son to die on a cross for us and to be raised from the dead and then to ascend to the Father and then send back the Holy Spirit. He's already done all the stuff. So maybe you're putting too much emphasis on feelings because we want to put our emphasis on the promise. What's God promised us? He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Number two, maybe you're not experiencing the presence of God because it's possible that maybe your heart has become hardened. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it says this, Take care, brethren, lest that there not be any one of you of an evil, unbelieving heart, that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Maybe as a Christian, I, I know it's, it's happened to me. I'm sure it's probably happened to you. There have been seasons where you just didn't feel much happening, kind of felt dull, numb. It happens for a lot of different reasons. Maybe God didn't do something you expected him to do. I mean, you'd prayed about something, you thought it was going to happen, it didn't happen the way you thought it was going to happen, and you're a little mad at God. You're working through it. You're, you're, you're upset with God. Maybe somebody hurt you. I, you know, somebody hurt your feelings, somebody said something, somebody did something, and, uh, and you know you need to forgive them, but you just want to nurse it a little while longer. You just want to really enjoy it. You'd like to stay upset. And so the Holy Spirit's quickening you. The, you keep, you know, the Lord's saying, you need to deal with this. You need to deal with this. You know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you through his word that we're supposed to forgive each other. How many times? Well, not seven times, but seven times 70. But if you're counting, you're not really forgiving. So you know, we go through all of that. It's like, okay, I need to forgive. But I, you know, I need to forgive this person, but I don't really want to forgive them. So, so we're struggling. We're, and so in that, we feel... We feel something's missing. Maybe somebody's hurt you. And so you've, you, kind of, you kind of have to close your heart off to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, when we have those feelings of unforgiveness rise up within us, the, the Spirit of God quickens us by his word and by his spirit and says, hey, you need to let that go. And we're like, uh, not me, not yet. When Lauren was like four and... and uh, Landon was six, and Landon had started school, and we'd say to, we'd say to Landon, Landon, you got to, it's time to go to bed. And Lauren wasn't in school yet, and she'd say under her breath, not me, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Maybe you're saying that to the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit's quickening you about an area that you need to deal with, that you've hardened your heart. Uh, the number one cause of hard heart is, is ongoing sin. This is the deceitfulness of sin. He says that you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I, I don't, Christians don't have to sin, but they do sin. Right? 
Anybody here? I, uh, what's the deceitfulness of skin? Of skin. The deceitfulness of sin is that it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. Now, I want to say this about your sin doesn't create a gap or distance between God and you. Why? Because if you're in Christ, your sins are covered past, present, and future by the grace of God. Your relationship is not dependent upon your behavior. It's dependent upon what Christ did. But without realizing it, your heart becomes harder and harder to the love and correction of the Holy Spirit, and you have created the distance. In other words, you start pulling away because you're resisting the correction and the direction of the Holy Spirit. You are resenting God wanting to call you to give it up. So you've created the distance, not God. God didn't move, you did. He doesn't love you less. As a matter of fact, because he loves you, he's going to discipline you in that sin. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And so he's going to do that. There's, a, there's an old saying, this may not relate to you at all, because used to in cars, before we had to all wear car seats all the time or we were going to die, uh, cars had a bench seat. It went all the way across. So when you were on a date or something, your date could sit right next to you. You know, but now we're all going to be strapped in with racing harnesses, and uh, everybody's get back over there in your in your car seat. <laughs> eventually, we'll all have adult car seats because I'm sure they have lobbies that are working on that, and so eventually they're going to make us all wear. We're all going to have to strap ourselves in a little car seat, and uh, <laughs> but you know when we were dating, Tina would sit next to me. You know, just slide up next to me. So, you know, you're driving later on. You're driving on. And you see a young couple all cuddled up, and she's sitting over there hugging the door. And, you know, she says, I remember when we used to sit like that. And I said, I'm not the one that's moved. <laughs> I'm still sitting here on the steering wheel. <laughs> Another joke that doesn't apply to young people. Okay. <laughs> Paul says this to the Ephesians. In in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. In other words, that's deceit again. Lie, sin lies to us. It believes it's going to meet needs that it cannot meet. It's going to make us feel whole, happy, but we're, we're, we're deceived by it. And that you be renewed in the spirit of mind and put on the new self which in the likeness of God's been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, therefore, then he gives us this list, laying aside falsehood, speak truth with each one of you with his neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the, the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, perform with his own hands that what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but such a word as is good for the education for the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander 
be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So he's saying all of these things. Now, Paul is writing this. He, I mean, in Ephesians, it's powerful verses, powerful verses about grace. By grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God. I mean, powerful verses in Ephesians about salvations by grace. But then he's saying, listen, lay aside the old man, the, old, the lust of deceit, all the things that are tied to that, the, the tendency to lie. Have you noticed? I don't know if you've noticed this, but everybody lies all the time. Yet we need to be committed to the truth. We need to, God is a God of truth. We need to be committed to the truth. We need to tell the truth even if it hurts us or embarrasses us. We need to tell the truth. He even says it's, be, it's okay to be angry, but don't sin in your anger. How do you sin in your anger? Well, it's out of control. It's hurtful. But it, there, there, are, there are things that should make you angry. But it shouldn't be out of control. He says don't steal any longer. It's like, it's like hey, listen. Hey, you Christians, quit stealing from each other. That's a good word. How can you steal? Well, you can steal time from work. There's a lot of different ways to steal. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. But only what's good, it's going to edify. It's good for the moment. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor have you, you know what clamor is? I didn't know what clamor was. I had to look it up. It's shouting. Shouting, slander, unforgiveness. See, all of, we, we all of us, just because we come to Christ, this doesn't all just disappear. It's the, we have the new man. We can walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but we're still warring with the old nature we still have to put it to death. We have to fight the fight of faith. We have to believe that God has saved us and healed us and changed us. And we don't give in to that. We still have to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell the truth. Man, I'd like to lie right here because it would make me look better. But I'm going to be embarrassed and tell the truth. I'm, I'm going to speak words of edification. And it's, we're not talking about earning salvation. You, your salvation is only complete in Christ. We're saying because you're a Christian... He's saying, put on the new man. Because you're in Christ, live as if you've been set free from sin. So if you're not warring against it, then you've become hardened to it. Are you okay with it? Are you okay with lying? Are you okay with your anger being out of control? Are you okay with stealing? Are you okay with cussing people out? Are you okay with bitterness and wrath and unforgiveness? He said, listen, quit accepting it and approving it. Quit giving yourself a pass. Because if you continue to resist the Holy Spirit in these areas where he wants to align you to the person and nature of Jesus Christ, if you keep resisting God in in deliberate sins, your heart becomes hardened. You become desensitized to your ability to hear from God. And you become numb to his presence. 
So we need to war. We've got to be at war with it. We need to listen. We want to surrender. We want to say yes to God. We want to agree with God about our sin so that we can be changed and be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So maybe you're putting too much emphasis on feelings. We can do that. Real feely culture. Maybe your heart's been hardened. The third thing is that maybe God wants to draw you closer. When do you think God draws you closest? When, when have you been closest to God? When things were going well or when things were going difficult? See, have you noticed that, for me anyway, during challenges, during hard times, during suffering, it actually brings out the best in me and I'm closest to God because I am super dependent on God. I am recognizing this is out of my ability to deal with. It's out of my control. I need help. I need the Lord. I need your presence. I need you here. So sometimes in those difficult seasons, I have actually been closer to the Lord. And then in times of ease, comfort, prosperity, sometimes it produces the worst. I get further away from God. I get self-sufficient. I'm doing it on my own. You know how our bodies work? Deprivation creates desire. What happens if you go without food? You get hungry. What happens if you go without water? You get thirsty. Maybe God is creating a little bit of a loss of feeling of his presence to cause you to seek him, to cause you to get into your, get into the Bible, spend some time in prayer. Maybe he's, maybe he's a little jealous. You know, the Bible says he's a jealous God, he's jealous, because he's the very best thing you can pursue. Anything less than pursuing God is a counterfeit. He's the very best thing you can pursue. So when we settle for less, and we often do settle for less, God says, oh, what a waste. God says, what a waste. And he wants time with you. Paul is writing from a own prison in 2 Timothy, uh, probably about AD 67. Uh, this is probably just a little while before Paul was beheaded by Nero, probably. Don't have that, we don't know that exactly. So Paul is writing from a Roman prison, not knowing what's going to happen in the future. But he's, he's writing about this, and he's experiencing the same thing. He's experiencing not really feeling, not feeling it. He says, make every effort to come to me, for Demas, having loved the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So somebody who was with him, helping him, has left. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. And Mark is the one who he ran off with Barnabas because Mark had left. He didn't want, to, he didn't want Mark around, but now he, now he wants Mark around. Pick up Mark. He's useful for me to service. But Tysicus, I'm not going to say that. 
I have left, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And you know how the Lord rescued him from every evil deed and took him to the kingdom? Without his head. But he did it. He certainly arrived in heaven intact. Everybody left me. Everybody left me. It was a horrible time. It was a horrible time. It was a miserable time. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. It was horrible. Just because God feels distant doesn't mean he's absent. Just because you doesn't feel you don't feel him doesn't mean he's not there. Don't believe everything you feel. Don't let your feelings drive your faith. Let your faith drive your feelings. So, maybe you're putting too much emphasis on your feelings and not on the promises of God. Maybe your heart is hardened. And today, today, you need to Come to the Lord and say, Lord, I've been resisting you dealing with me with this unforgiveness, this sin, this area. I've been resisting that. And the companion to that is my heart has been hardened to your presence. I need to deal with some sin. I need to say, I need to agree with God about sin in my life. Because, you know, here's what I know. God wants to draw you closer. He wants to draw you in. He wants you to know him and experience the reality of his presence because he loves you and he cares for you. And he's already proved it. He doesn't have to prove it again. He doesn't have to die on the cross again. He doesn't have to (laughs) defeat death, hell in the grave again. He already did it, and he did it to prove, to establish. This is how we know that God loves us because he sent his son as a payment for our sins. We know it. Amen. Let's stand. We'll sing this song together, and then we'll pray at the end.
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we know this. We know we need you. And we're not dependent upon the feelings, but we stand upon the promise. We trust you, Lord. We ask you, Lord, if there's an area of our life that is hindering our relationship because we have hardened our hearts to you moving, Lord, help us to see clearly that whom the Lord loves, he disciplines us. You only discipline us. You correct us because you love us. You don't want sin to win in our lives. You don't want sin to own a corner of territory. You don't want sin to be victorious. You want to have total, complete victory so that we have new life in Christ. Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, we know that you want to draw us near. Lord, I pray that today for those that are struggling, that they would know and believe because of what your word says we would experience. Everyone forsook me, Paul said, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us regardless of what we feel. In Jesus' name.